If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're wrapping up our Hold Fast uh, sermon series today. And with that, I do want to invite you to stick around next week. We're going to be uh, starting our new sermon series called Christmas at the Movies. Now, before you get all bent out of shape, we're going to use uh, some of the movie things that are oftentimes uh, referenced. Maybe they're family traditions for some of you. Maybe they're a movie that you never wish you would have watched, or, or I mean, maybe you wish you would have watched and have never watched. Um, I don't know what it is, but we're going to look at really what Christmas is about, not from the standpoint of the movies, but we're going to use the movies to communicate truth uh, and the, the truth of Scripture and the truth about Jesus uh, during this time frame. So Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to be starting in verse 14, and I want to let you know um, that I'm thankful right? We're going into Thanksgiving, and I, I don't know what you're thankful for. As a matter of fact, this week, here's my challenge to you, is that every day you wake up and find at least one thing to be thankful for, right? Think of little things, big things. Think of, of family. Maybe it's not family. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Um, but I think that one of the things that we oftentimes get bombarded with in, in our lives is this, that we're overwhelmed by everything else that goes on, that we don't celebrate and we don't remember and we're not thankful for just honestly the everyday things, right? We think that life has to be so much more complicated, maybe more busy, but I want you to, I want to challenge you this week that every day, start today, right? Maybe it's now. What are you thankful for that God has provided you with, right? That God is giving you, maybe even, think about it this way. Maybe it's even a difficult season or time that right now God has you in because, listen, because he has something greater for you in the future. You don't know what it is right now, but you can be thankful that the Lord is walking you through it, that he's going to be with you in it, and that and in the end that he's going to provide whatever it is as a result. So Second Peter chapter 3, I do want to encourage you to stick around afterwards. We have, as a matter of fact, there are two tables full of nothing but desserts. Um, so all of the diabetics, avoid those tables, all right? <laughs> or maybe you need them, I don't know. Um, but there, there's, there's plenty of food downstairs. We want to encourage you to stick around afterwards. I believe one of the greatest ways you can get to know people within the church is just spending time together. And this is an opportunity for us to do that. So um, I, I hope you've been encouraged by Second Peter. Let's read this, Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And it says this, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, now I want to remind you what he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus' second coming. You're looking forward to this aspect, or here's what you're looking forward to. You are looking forward to Jesus' second coming. He says this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Don't you love that? Like Peter's really building up Paul, and then he says, listen, Paul's difficult right? Like, he's the difficult brother, right? He's the one. Listen, he's saying his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, but listen, here's the key kicker, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. 
Amen. When, when Chris brought up that statement earlier, when, when, when we're going to be standing around the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, right? Who was in the beginning, who existed from the beginning of time, who is, right? Consistently and continually sitting on his throne and who is to come. In other words, who will come back. That is a statement the scripture is making for us to understand. And what Second Peter is trying to remind us is of this truth. That we have to live our lives in obedience to God's word, even in the midst of, listen, the problems and the perplexities of what's going on as a result of the end times, right? And so Peter literally is challenging the believers in this text to remember, listen, the end is going to come, that false teachers are going to rise up, and as these false teachers are going to rise up, they're going to tell you, you can do whatever you want right? You can chase whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want. Matter of fact, you can live however you want. But what Peter begins to say is this, all of those things that they're teaching were a false teaching because that false teaching is going to lead you into slavery. It's depravity of sin, right? And he literally lays this out that when you chase after the things that some of these false teachers are going to present, you're chasing yourself or you're leading yourself into captivity or bondage. And so this letter begins first by affirming us and then affirming our need for Christ and, and our need for life in Christ and godliness. So we looked at that in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. As a matter of fact, I want to remind you of, of what he says. It says in verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's a reminder of, of, of us getting everything we need from Jesus Christ. Every bit of everything you need, all knowledge, all wisdom, all strength, all ability, your gifts, your calling, that all comes from Jesus. And Jesus is the one who gives you the ability and opportunity to experience life and life to the fullest. So he's given us everything we need. And then he reminds us of the false teachers in chapter two, and then we come to chapter three, right? And he's basically in chapter three telling us this is how you are to live as a result of Jesus' second coming. Because Jesus is coming back, here is how you are requested or required really to live as a believer in Jesus. And we looked at that last week. We started to look at what that means and how that plays out, right? Because Jesus is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to faith. He's, he's waiting on those who would admit their sinners, who would confess that sin and will repent and turn toward him. But listen, waiting can be a difficult thing, can't it? Like, I don't know how you are with waiting, right? Like, I struggle with waiting. My wife will tell you that. Like, I remember going to the Royals game, very opening day. We got tickets opening day. I don't remember. Oh, Chris was sick. Maverick was sick. And Chris was like, hey, I had tickets for the game. We can't go. Maverick's sick. You want them? And I was like, sure, let's do it. It was freezing. Anybody go to opening day? It was cold, like bone-chilling cold, and Ethan and I went, and I remember standing outside the gate, and of course, you know, every year, they're, they're, they've got to deal with training new people and things like that, but I show up to the game, and I, I, like, literally, the longest line I've ever seen at the Royal Stadium. I was like, are you kidding me? And I took a picture, held my phone up real high, still my tippy toes, took a picture, and I texted my wife, you got to be kidding me. I got to wait in this line to get into this game. 
Now, I don't know how you are, but that's just the way I would. Oh, maybe, maybe it's a Chiefs game. Matter of fact, if you were to go to a Chiefs game now, I can't imagine trying to get into the stadium because in the games I've been to in the past, it was like that. You're just waiting forever to get through security. But waiting can be a difficult thing. And what Peter wants us to know is this, that as we wait for Jesus to come back, there are some expectations. There are these desires that he has for us to live. God wants us to live in a certain way because, listen, as we wait, he has a bigger plan in store. He's got greater things in store. And so today, that's what we're going to unpack. How do I live? How do I wait with a purpose in my life? So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump in to the rest of this text. Father, we pray today that you would be honored and glorified. And God, I pray that you would lay on our hearts things that we can be thankful for. God, I know how easy it is to become negative even as I think about my own life and waiting, how it can become negative over waiting. And yet sometimes, Lord, that's exactly what you want us to do is to wait so that we can learn, so that we can grow, so we become more like you, that we can learn more about who you are and what you want us to do. And so, Lord, may we be thankful in every season and in every way. And may we learn to wait with a purpose, knowing that you are coming back because you promised it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, I, I bring up that idea of waiting, but we had a statement when we were in boot camp. Uh, it was called hurry up and wait, <laughs> right? Like we would march everywhere, be like, hurry up, we got to make it on time. And we'd get there and we'd sit down in a room. And you're talking about a bunch of guys and gals who would average in maybe four or five hours of sleep. And we'd sit down in these rooms that were hot right? They had AC going, but we're in Orlando in the middle of September. So you're kind of hot. And then they would say, well, we got to wait the other companies behind. And I mean, we'd wait like an hour, hour and a half, two hours, and then you'd fall asleep. And somebody would yell at you, why are you falling asleep? You're not supposed to fall asleep. It's like, I'm sitting here in a room. What am I supposed to do? Like just stare at nothing? But in the Navy, it was all about this idea, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. And oftentimes, that's what I find myself doing even when I drive, right? Like, I'm going to get somewhere quick, and then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait, <laughs> right? Like, like, it's kind of the epitome of fast food today. Like, if you've been into a fast food restaurant, you know it's not fast anymore. Like, the only fast food place I know of that's fast is Chick-fil-A. Like, they got a system down. Boom, 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 boom. You go to McDonald's, you go to Burger King, you go to Wendy's. It's like, nope. Went to Slim Chicken's the other day. Slim Chicken's supposed to be fast food, right? Took them like 20 minutes to give me my order. I was like... And I know, listen, they're they're bragging, you know, cooking it fresh. But it's this hurry up and wait aspect. And what Peter is laying out to these believers is this, that everything that we go through, everything that we're going to experience, all the things that he's trying to let us understand and grow in is this idea that we wait with a purpose, right? That we're waiting because Jesus is coming back, that we wait on purpose with a purpose because God has something in store for all of us to do. And so look at what he does as he unpacks this. I want you to see what Peter does. Peter does this thing in, in the Greek or in, 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 in Bible language, we called it an inclusio, all right? An inclusio is like a bookend. In, in First Peter, or sorry, in Second Peter chapter 1, he starts off this statement in verse 5. He says, for this reason, make every effort. And then here's what he says in verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every, what? Effort. 
It's a bookend. He's highlighting some things and he says, listen, as a result of what's going on, Jesus has given you everything you need for the life that you have, that you can grow and you can become more of what he's called you to be. And then he comes to this and he says, now make every effort to be these things, blameless and spotless and at peace with him. So Second Peter, or Peter, is writing this to the believers so they can understand, listen, everything that I've talked about is based upon this, that God has given you everything you need to walk in holiness, to live the life that he's called you to be, and so as a result, make every effort to be blameless and spotless and to be at peace with him. It's not that you and I earn our salvation But it's as a result of our salvation that we walk in holiness and righteousness and in obedience to what God has called us to be, to what God has called us to do. And so that is what Peter begins to unpack to these early believers, and I believe what we should, again, apply to our lives today. So Peter bookends his, his letter on these that statement, make every effort. Now, if I was to say that, I want you to make every effort, what does that picture play out in your mind? That you've got some what? Work to do. You've got some effort to put in, right? You've got some ability that you've got to contribute. You've got to give something to this that plays out. God gave us everything as a result of what he shows us in First Peter, or sorry, Second Peter chapter 1. He's given us everything we need. So we make every effort to grow in faith and knowledge and those things like that. And now we make every effort to be blameless, spotless, and at peace with him. Now, I want to unpack this just real quick, and I want you to remember this. If you remember anything else, here's our big idea today. Look forward to Jesus coming with great expectation while living life to the fullest in Christ right now. Look forward to Jesus coming with great expectation. In other words, I wait with purpose, right? while I live life to the fullest in Christ right now. That's literally what he's calling us to do right here. That I live my life to the fullest, to the fullest extent of what God has for me right now. See, let me ask this question. And you don't have to answer it out loud. Do you look forward to Jesus coming, coming back? Do you look forward to Jesus in his return? Do you look forward to the fact that at some point in time, Jesus is going to, or God's going to say, God the Father is going to say, Jesus, it's time to go, and that Jesus is going to come back. And remember what we said, it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be a twinkle in the eye. It's going to happen without any warning, and we've got to be prepared, and we're ready to go. But, but do you look forward to Jesus coming back? And the reason why I believe we have to ask that question is then to look at the statement. If we look forward to Jesus coming back, then here's how we are called to live. We are called to be different. Peter is teaching us to wait with a purpose. We're not to be idle, but to live our lives in a way that honors God. So in verse 14, he says, so then, dear friends, he's writing to fellow believers, and he says, since you look forward to this second coming, if you're looking forward to it, then make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Now, I want to unpack this in, 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 in basically point number one. What's this idea mean with spotless, blameless? And so here's the question today that I ask. How do I wait with a purpose? And number one is this, we work in obedience to God. In my life, I need to work in obedience to God. 
I work in obedience to God's word. I work in obedience to what he's laying out here in scripture. And so here's what he says. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless. Those two things go hand in hand together. That if I have sin in my life, I've got a tarnish on, on me. I've got a blemish on me. I am imperfect. I am walking imperfectly. I have sin in my life. But listen, here's what plays out. The spotless and blameless. Jesus was the lamb without blemish or defect. He was the perfect sacrifice. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 says this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So when he says this, that you make every effort to be found spotless and blameless, my question then would be this, When you walk in your daily walk, in your relationship with Jesus, do you walk in sin with an unrepentant heart? Because if I walk in sin with an unrepentant heart, an unchanging and an unyielding heart, then you're not walking in the power that Jesus gives. You're not walking in the grace that Jesus gives or God provides. You are walking in your own saying, listen, I can go through these things on my own. I can deal with it on my own. I can carry the weight of my own sin. And the reality is we can't. See, Jesus does the work just as I need it. He does all the work Matter of fact, that's what we saw earlier in First Peter, or sorry, Second Peter, chapter one, verse three. His divine power has been has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Here's what plays out. When I put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins that he rose again and he offers me life and life more abundantly. When I confess that, then I receive everything I need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ because that's what it says he gives us. He gives us that through the power of the indwelling spirit that we get when we acknowledge that because we are given the spirit as a result of being believers. But I work in obedience to God because, listen, I want to be found spotless and blameless before him. Now, here's the big picture. At some point in time, we're all going to be held accountable for our lives. We're going to be called, to a certain extent, called on the carpet. And here's what's going to happen. When we stand before the throne and Jesus, or the question becomes this, why should I let you in? If your answer begins with any statement of I, you've missed the picture you've missed the boat. When the statement begins, because Jesus died on the cross for my sins and my faith has been put in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then that's the statement that stands firm. That's the reality of what takes place. But here's the crazy thing. Here's the false teacher idea. Well, I did all these things for church. Well, I served the poor. Well, I gave all this money to all these nonprofit organizations. Well, I loved the homeless and I served the homeless and I served the needy and I helped the sick and I looked out for widows. Those are all things that are additions 
right? Those are all things that we're called to do as believers, all great things. So please hear me out. I'm not knocking those things and telling you none of them matter. Those are a result. Those should be a result of salvation. Because I'm saved, I want to do these things because that's what God has called me to do. But we work in obedience to God because that's what he's called us to do. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what's happening, that Jesus will hold us blameless on the day he comes back. He's the one who holds us. See, Jesus does all the work. I just need to join him in the work he's doing. That's the reality of what takes place. If Jesus is doing all the work, then I join him where he's working currently. So listen, we strive to live spotless and blameless lives. That's opposite of the false teachers who are teaching freedom is doing whatever you want. Go ahead, do whatever the heck you want. When in reality, that freedom leads them to be slaves of depravity. That's what Second Peter said earlier, if we looked at that, right? So we work in obedience to God because we want to be spotless and blameless. And then here, here's this idea. Here's what plays out. There's this practical righteousness that we practice on earth. And it's done in anticipation of the perfect righteousness, which we'll, we will experience when Christ returns. So there's practical righteousness, the day in and day out things of us walking in obedience to God because the perfect righteousness will, we be, will be revealed when Jesus returns. And we join with him, just as we sang earlier, when we join Jesus and we celebrate at the throne, crying out, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then here's the second thing we see as we work in obedience to God is that we can walk in peace with him. See, this is the idea that there was a restored relationship with God as a result of Jesus' death on the cross. So he says, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Here's what's crazy. If you were to turn over to Colossians chapter 1, let me flip over there real quick. Colossians 1, I lost my uh, bookmarks, sorry. I have little paper clips on here that somehow got ripped off. I must have ripped them off. Colossians chapter 1, listen to what it says in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This is talking about Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Listen, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So I am found at peace with God by acknowledging or believing in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for my sins because I couldn't pay that price. And so I walk at peace with him when I follow that, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, <clears throat> For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. You and I are reconciled or made at peace with God as a result of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I hope you hear that out when we play this because there is no other thing that you can brag on or boast in, and Paul talks about that, that I boast only in the cross of Christ. 
Because the cross of Christ that bought or purchased my sins, the sins that I couldn't pay for, he bought and purchased those to redeem me from an empty way of life. See, his teachings, Paul's teachings here are central to our, or Peter's teachings here are central to our belief system. And his life and example, his life is an example of what Christ can do. Just as Paul's life is too, right? Think about Peter. Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three. Like try and recover from that, right? Like I'm sitting here going, golly, three times. And it wasn't just three times over like years. It was like three times in one night, right? And he realizes it. And so as we unpack this simple text and we look at this, I want you to think of what he's laying out, that we were found, that we would be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. But I real quick want to unpack this, because look at verse 15. It says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. He just repeated something that we looked at last week, right? That the longer Jesus waits, then we wait with a purpose. Because the longer Jesus waits the more people he desires or wants to see come to good, good or to, to understand and, and respond to the good news, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So he lays that out, but then he says this, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letter contains some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Listen, here's what, what Peter's trying to unpack. Peter's trying to let the people know that not only did they distort the Old Testament scriptures, but they've also distorted some of Paul's teachings. And if you know anything about this, that Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Peter and Paul are both great examples of what Jesus does in a life, right? That even in the midst of Jesus' death, Peter denies him three times. But yet at the same time, look at Paul's life, right? Paul was a persecutor of Christians, destroyed people, putting people to death, wanted to take out the church, did everything he could to stop a movement that God had started in the church. And Paul has a radical change because he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And then Paul becomes a radical missionary that goes to the uttermost parts of the world. If Jesus can do that with Paul, he can do it with anybody else. Anybody else. And that's the good news of the gospel because the gospel isn't about who you were in the past. It's about what Jesus does in the broken vessel of you to create and make you a new image, a new person, a new being, because that's what he's called you to do. So listen, as he unpacks this statement, I want you to understand what the false teachers are doing there. Not only are they trying to change Paul's teaching, they're most likely going to attack Peter's teaching. They're going to go after the Old Testament teaching as well as various books in the New Testament, which would include the Gospels that would have been written. And they're going to say things like this. Well, you don't need to have all that stuff. Listen, here's the big struggle, I, I believe, in today's culture. Since we don't want to identify truth anywhere, we hold to the standard or belief that there is no truth at all. So we can just make up whatever we want to make up and everything will be fine because God knows my heart. 
Here's the problem. God does know your heart. According to scripture, the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. That deep down inside, I have an innate nature called sin that I'm born with. That yes, God created you as, a, as, a, as his own image, in his image. He's created everybody in his image. But listen, as a result of sin, that image is broken. It's shattered. It's not the same. And what we like to do, and I've used this as a sermon in the past, but we like to take up our broken pieces, that mirror, right? If we're creating God's image, we like to take the broken pieces and we put it all back together, whether it's glued or duct taped, right? The redneck version, it's still broke. But Jesus comes that you would have a brand new life. In other words, what he says is, listen, you put your faith and trust in me. You're not a broken mirror anymore. You're not that broken clay vessel anymore. You're a brand new creation. Yes, who you were, that was something. And you can learn from it, but I want you to be something different, something new, something righteous, something that's gonna stand out. And so listen, I look forward to Jesus coming with great expectation, so I wait with a purpose while I live life to the fullest in Christ. That's what he's calling believers to do. So I work in obedience to God, number one. Number two, we stand guard with a strong foundation. Now, I I tried to think through a number of things like this, but when I play this out in my mind, it really goes to fighting, right? Now, if you were to fight, matter of fact, I I should have got Mike Matazeski up here, but if you were to fight, if you were to stand here with your feet like this and start to fight, what's going to happen? I'm going to get knocked out, first of all, because I'm not in in a place to defend myself at all. Like the first thing you always talk about is a strong foundation, right? So I'm going to spread out. I'm going to get into position. I'm ready to roll. And listen to what he says here in the text, starting in verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, that people are going to be selling you and teaching you false things, be on your guard. I can't be on my guard right here. As a matter of fact, a boxer would tell you this. Once the hands come down, you're what? You're vulnerable. It's open, right? But if I'm on my guard, here's where I'm at. I'm ready to roll. So when every false teaching comes about, guess what I'm able to do? I'm able to block. I'm able to just, just to push it away and guard it. And I'm going to be the weakest person when it comes to this, but it's the idea that I am on my guard, ready to roll. That I am on my guard against the false teaching that's going to be around me. Be on your guard. Listen to what he says. So that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men. Lawless men are the ones who want to carry you away. But when I'm on my guard and ready, then they can't carry me away. I am ready to go to battle. I'm ready to be prepared for whatever's going to come against me. We can look at it the same way. I've done quite a few weddings. And here's what never fails, wedding planner or not. When I come to do a wedding, the people go, where do I stand? And at first I used to say, I don't know, I'm not the wedding planner, I'm the pastor, I do the service, I don't plan everything. I realized that doesn't go very well. Because here's what happens, they all go to the back and they go, okay, what do we do? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is just a mess. So now we prepare people. So when we start for a wedding now, we come up here and we're like, you're going to stand here, you're going to stand here, you're going to stand here, you're going to walk with there, blah, blah, blah. And then we go back and we practice. Why? So they're prepared. But all chaos breaks loose when they're not prepared if I just go, you just got to be ready. 
And here's what I want you to understand based upon this. Where we start has all the difference in the world. You need to be ready because you know it's going to happen. So I'm prepared, and here's how I prepare. I have to be in God's word so I can grow and understand. I have to be on guard so that I'm not misled by the error of lawless men who, listen, who are, are trying to mislead me by teaching me all kinds of crazy things. So listen to what he says again. Be on your guard so that you may not be carried away. I like to say it this way, and uh, I use a lot of obviously Navy illustrations, but I had some guys that they had told me when I was in the Navy that day 30, they were going to do some things to me. And I said, okay, bring it on. And if they were to listen today, they probably would remember this day, but there were two guys, both of them, one was about 5'8", I'm guessing every bit of 250, and the other one was probably about six foot, every bit of probably 230 to 250. I don't know, they were big guys. And they kept threatening me. I was like, you don't want to do this. We're just, it's not going to be good. I'm just telling you, you're not going to get me. And so basically it came down to day 30. We're day 30 out in the ocean, and they threatened to do some things to me. And I said, okay, well, bring it on. Well, day 30 comes. I walk into our module. So I walk through this, what we call a quick acting watertight door. It's got a handle. I open the door. I pull it in and I dog it down. And it dogs down and no water's getting into that space. But anyways, they look at me and one of the guys looks at me and he goes, I'm out. And he walked out of our module. And I went, I don't think you guys want to do this. And they're like, whatever. We can do this. We're going to go. And the whole thing was is that they wanted to have me bent over a chair with my pants basically down around my ankles, duct tapes a chair. And I was like, yeah, it ain't going to happen. It took them over 30 minutes just to get me seated, seating in a chair. Now, they got me duct tape, but I mean, I was seated in the chair 30 minutes. Both of them had gashes in their head. Both of them were like, what the heck just happened? We'll take Brian anywhere because this guy will fight anybody. And I was. I was ready to roll. We're, we're going to go. Two big guys couldn't get me under control. But I want you to play this picture out this way. If somebody is trying to carry you away, how much are you willing to fight if you're on guard versus if you're not prepared? If you're not prepared, it's going to be a lot easier to carry you off into false teaching, into bad ways. But when I'm on my guard, ready and prepared for the teaching that could come up, then I know that I can defend and stand against false teaching when somebody says something wrong. So when I pursue this relationship, as I grow in this, the whole point of this is this, that we are preparing for Jesus' second coming. And as we do, listen, we wait with a purpose by walking in obedience to God, we stand guard with a firm foundation. And then number three, we grow in grace and knowledge. Now, let me play this out or let me explain this in just a very simple way. Growing in grace. Those three words right there need to be lived out more day in and day out in everyone's life. I believe in believers especially. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I need to extend grace more to the people who are around us, especially those, listen, who don't believe like us, think like us, or act like us. Because here is very clear. Scripture says that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He has veiled it. 
So when he's talking about this, he's not saying that we not give grace, but he says to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here's the important aspect with that. Growth. All of us grow physically. Here's what's crazy as I think about it. When it comes to mental, emotional, and in specific spiritual growth, some never grow. Our mental and emotional state of being always leads to growth when my spiritual growth exceeds or grows more every day. If I am emotionally or mentally spent, exhausted, worn out, and have problems, one of the great ways you can grow is spiritually. Now, listen, I understand, and I'm not going to stand up here and be a psychologist and tell you all these. I'm talking about a strong mental ability to withstand the pressures of everything that's going on around us comes as a result of a strong spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. If I want to withstand the pressures that are going on around me, both emotionally and mentally, then I need to be strong spiritually. And if I'm not strong spiritually, it's okay. Please hear me out when I say this. I'm not expecting perfection. Jesus doesn't expect perfection. What we want to do, though, is grow. That I'm not the same person now that I was last year, and guess what? Next year, I'm not going to be the same person I am now because I'm growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's a continual, ongoing thing. This is what's rough about a Christian life, isn't it? Like I can walk away from working on semi-trucks and go, man, I just changed oil, I changed three tires, I did brakes, I did an exhaust job. I can walk away in the Christian life and go, man, I read all these things and I'm still struggling with a stupid thing called sin. Anybody else been there? Like, I don't know about you, but I do it all the time. Like, God, why can't I be more patient? Then he throws a bunch of people in front of me, right? I'm like, well, God, I really wasn't talking about now. Could this wait a little bit? <laughs> right? Like, like, can I go to a different McDonald's? Because this McDonald's is backed up so much, and I've already placed my order. I don't, I don't know what it is, but listen, when I grow in the grace and knowledge, listen, spiritual growth is reliant upon your desire to learn more about who Christ is and what he wants to do in your life. Spiritual growth, here's the reality. If you try and grow solely off of what we preach on Sunday morning, your growth is going to be anemic. It's honestly going to be pathetic. You can't eat once a week and expect to be ready for or stand guard against whatever's going to come at you. You eat properly. You eat the right things in the right way at the right time so you can be prepared. You exercise. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that I learn to beat my body. I submit it to the will of God and to the word of God. Listen, spiritual growth is reliant upon your desire to grow. So growing in the grace and knowledge, yes, it comes together as we grow as a body of believers, but you have to take the next step and say, I wanna grow day in and day out in my life. Matter of fact, I'm gonna let you know that starting in January, we're going to do a new sermon series called Habits. And in that habits thing is we're, we want our church, we want you and I, everybody in our church, to take that next step that you need to take to grow. Whether that's reading a Bible, we're going to have a Bible reading plan. Listen, a new Bible reading plan every month next year. 
Because I've had people go, well, you guys started, well, you guys are already this far in. I don't want to join the Bible reading plan. Well, guess what? You got no excuse. You can jump in wherever we're at, and you're going to be able to read the Bible. We want everybody. Matter of fact, I would say this. here's, Here's one of the struggles I'm going to tell you as a pastor right now. I love the heart of service in our church. I'm not so excited about the desire for discipleship and growth in our church. And what I mean by that is this. We have a lot of people who are serving. You guys are doing great. But listen, discipleship takes part in groups together with other believers, and we grow. And our life groups are minimally attended. And I'm not going to throw that on you and sit there and go, well, hey, this, I know life's busy. But I also want you to know this, that I believe that growth takes place in groups. And I would rather see our groups have more in attendance than even our Sunday mornings. I would love to see our groups be that entry-level step for people who would say, hey, man, I'm not comfortable to come in on a Sunday morning in church, but I sure as heck would come to a group at your house where we can talk about the Bible. And so those are steps. And please hear me out. That is not a knock. Every one of us have to grow, right? It's not an attack on any one person in particular, but I do want you to know that we have got to be a church that is focused on growing in our relationship with others and in our relationship with God. Listen to what this statement is. You know, I've said this in the past. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, right? But I want you to think about what he says here. When I grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we jump back to 2 Peter chapter 1, right? That he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. I want you to think about grace this way. God's resources applied to the Christian experience. When I grow in grace, then God is going to resource me in every area of my life so that I can experience the fullness of life that God has for me. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. That's the main point. See, knowing Christ is one of the primary goals for Christian development. And as we do that, we grow in the grace and knowledge because growing in grace and knowledge is essential in maturing in Christ so that I can be all that he wants me to be, so that you can be all that God created you to be. Listen, this whole idea of holding fast is this. God promised in his word that he's coming back. Jesus will return. And we tether ourselves to the truth of God's word to walk in obedience and to stand firm and to be on guard because there are some who are going to say, that book, it's 2,000 years old. It's out of date. It's got to get with the times. When this book is the very key that holds the promises that God said he would fulfill in all things and in every area of our life. So my challenge to us as a church is to hold fast to stand firm, to be on guard. Because, listen, the problems and perplexities of what's going on in the end times, it's just the start. What we see as a result of the end times is, listen, there are going to be worse times ahead. It's going to get more difficult. It's going to be harder. But God has given us everything we need to hold fast during that. Father, we thank you for the truth that you portray and that you give 
that you unveil to us in your word. We thank you for your son, for his sacrificial death, to pay the price for our sins, the sins that even we commit, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God, we don't have to walk into church perfect. We don't have to walk into church with our life all figured out and everything in order because you give us everything we need for life and for godliness. And so, Lord, maybe somebody's come with a heavy heart. Maybe they're struggling with sin. Maybe they're holding on to some things that they, they just can't seem to let go of. God, may they turn them over to you. May we be faithful to confess our sins because we know you are faithful and just and will forgive us of any and every unrighteousness. And so, Lord, just maybe somebody's heart today who's never responded to Jesus for the first time, that they can respond right where they're at. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. And listen, every day Jesus doesn't return is a day he's patient, not wanting you to perish but for you to respond and to come to life and life more abundantly in him. So maybe today that's your first step. Maybe today that's the thing you can be thankful for because Jesus has bought you, redeemed you, and rescued you from your sins. Believers, today, maybe you've already made that decision. Today is your day to be thankful for that but to stand firm, to be on your guard, and to listen to take this next year to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Would you commit to that today, to take that next step? God, you are awesome. You are holy. You are righteous. And you loved us so much that you sent your son. And we thank you for that, Father. And Jesus, we thank you for your sacrificial death, for your obedience to the will of the Father. And Spirit, we pray that you would move today. You would convict, you would guard, you would guide, and you could correct. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.